you found a message that was delivered at Living Streams Community Church in McCordsville, Indiana. We are praying the time you invest hearing God's Word encourages you in your walk with Jesus and inspires you to share Him with others. If you want to learn more about us or send us a prayer request, visit our website, livingstreamscc.org. Thank you for listening. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10, and we're going to take a look at verses 25 to 37 uh, this morning. It's another well-known parable of Jesus, the parable of the Good Samaritan. We're sitting at his feet um, this summer, uh, taking in his his stories. Um, you know, this is a kind of a go-to parable uh, for the church to encourage mercy uh, to flow from our lives, uh, as it should. Um, but as we look at this in, in, in the setting for this, this parable of the Good Samaritan, there's a little bit more going on that we get to look at today. So let's read uh, verses 25 to 37. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, well, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we... Thank you for your word. It is uh, so good to, to hear and be reminded of and to be challenged by and called by. We ask that our hearts would be good soil for the seed that will be sown in us today, that you would wake us up to your call, to the need around us, the opportunities we have to be Jesus, hands and feet and voice. I pray the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So here in a few weeks, I am going to be going to the doctor. Uh, Nothing wrong, just my annual physical. At least I don't think anything's wrong. Usually when I go to the doctor, I find out I'm sick. But uh, what the doctor, going to the doctor for me is kind of a frustrating time because it's like this question and answer thing that goes on. 
And there's all this pressure, right? Because, you know, he's a doctor and he wants to know how I'm feeling. And I have to answer right so he knows. And so I never feel like I'm hitting the nail on the head when he, he asks, you know, you know, how I'm doing. And then he'll turn it around and he'll say, well, do you have any questions for me? And, of course, my mind will go blank and I'm feeling good on the day. And so I'm like, no, nope, I'm doing good. And then I'll be walking them in the mailbox or something and my ankle will hurt. And I'll be like, why didn't I ask him about, you know, that? Just how it goes. You know, going to the doctor is just kind of a frustrating thing. I mean, he's the expert. I want him to tell me, you know, what's up. And he can't unless I tell him, you know, an accurate picture of how I'm feeling. You get what? You, you get it? <laughs> well, Jesus is in some kind of public setting here as we get to the parable of the Good Samaritan. And he ends up in a question and answer session with a lawyer. And so let's sit down here at his feet for the next few minutes and listen to his back and forth because it's going to be good for us. Good for our soul, good for our body. So the question and answer kicks off with the questions about life. Questions about life. Jesus is having a good day. All right. If you go back and you read in chapter 10 what was going on, the 72 disciples had been sent out, then they just came back, and they have these glowing ministry reports about what was going on in the field. And the, the Son of God has this Holy Spirit rejoicing moment, thanking God for, for how he was working. And so there is just, this is just a good day for Jesus. And then verse 25 comes along. We don't know if it's the same day or not, but the way that it starts, and behold, a lawyer stands up and asks a question. Now that sounds like some spiritual warfare to me. No offense to lawyers. Now this really wasn't a real question from the lawyer. He is looking to trap Jesus in something that he's going to say. You know, he wants to discredit him. He wants to criticize his ministry. And in doing so, he asked this question. And it is the, the big life question. How do I inherit eternal life? Now, that is the absolute most important question that anyone could ever ask and get answered in their life. How do I inherit eternal life? Now, tomorrow is Memorial Day. And uh, everyone, most of us will have that day, that day off, and we look forward to it. But that's the day we set aside to remember the, the many men and women who gave their life protecting our country and our freedoms. And so it's so good for us to remember them and to honor them. Flags will be placed at their graves and cemeteries across the country. It is good and right for us as Americans who are enjoying that freedom right now to do that kind of thing. So Memorial Day is, is good for us, but it's also good to remind us that this life is not all there is. It is going to be over in the blink of an eye. In James 4.14 it says, what is your life? For you are a, are a mist that is here for a moment and then vanishes. We're just a mist. And so it is easy, as we think about it, easy to live our lives like this is really all there is. But really, it's barely the beginning. Barely the beginning of our lives. Death is going to come to all of us unless Jesus comes back first. So what happens when you die? Well, some people would say that we just cease to exist. 
You know, that, that this really is all there is. And the rest is just made up fairy tales and stories to help us get through this. But most people believe that the soul is going to be living on after our body returns to dust. And the Bible speaks about eternal life and eternal death. The soul lives on. So this lawyer, he's touching on this big question for everyone. How do I get that eternal life? Have you ever asked that question? For yourself? I mean, I mean, really ask it. Now Jesus, he, he doesn't answer it. He doesn't go directly there with the lawyer. And I suppose he doesn't do that because the lawyer really isn't looking for the answer. And that means his heart isn't ready for it. So instead, Jesus appeals to this man's profession, to his pride maybe, to his expertise in the law. So he says, well, you tell me. And I mean, you're the expert in the law. You, you tell me, how do you read it? What does the law say? What does the law tell you about interpreting or inheriting eternal life? And then the guy gives a perfect law answer. He answers it perfectly. He hits a home run, quoting Deuteronomy 6.5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And he also quotes Leviticus 19.8 at the end, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Home run. And Jesus goes and he gives him a high five. He says, well done. You did it. Way to go. You got it, you got it correct. Do this and you will live. Now, as soon as he said that, the lawyer kind of stops and realizes he's in trouble. And we know that because of how verse 29 starts. It says, desiring to justify himself. And we don't know why he needed to justify himself. But his law answer, it was perfect. Jesus told him he got, the, he got it right. His law answer immediately identified for him how he wasn't measuring up to that commandment. Now maybe, maybe he's working hard, you know, as all lawyers do, right? Maybe he's trying to climb the lawyer ranks at the office in the Sanhedrin. You know, and he's uh, kind of pursuing that a little harder than he's pursuing God. Maybe he used Yahweh's name inappropriately somewhere throughout the day or the week that he had just had. Maybe he brought a little work home from the office and did that on the Sabbath to try to catch up. Don't know. He could have been irritable with his parents because they were getting older, wanting some more help. He'd never kill anyone, but maybe he was harboring a little anger against that Roman soldier who took his lunch. Maybe his mind was going places with a woman at the market that it should not go. He could have told his wife a falsehood about why he was coming home late from the office. Maybe he was coveting his neighbor's cow. Maybe he could have helped to fix his lawnmower and he didn't. We don't know what it is. But the law 
can never give you satisfying answers about life. It always leaves you with more questions. And that is because that is exactly what it's designed to do. Romans 3.20 says this, For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. That's, that's what it's designed to do. It's designed to lead us to helplessness and to look for a Savior. And you know, if you take all the other religions of the world and bring them together, and all of man's answers about life, they all have this same problem. They all give you a path to get eternal life, but it is all law-driven. They say, do this or do that. Do it enough and do it the right way. And after you die, you'll be okay. They all say that. And none of them give you any promises that it's true. Not one. They all will leave you with questions about life. So where do you go? Where do you go to get an answer for this question? Right here. It's right here. Listen to Romans 3, 21 to 24. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ and this is true for everyone who believes no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God freely and graciously declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. Jesus is life. He is the answer. I will never, ever be able to love God enough and love you enough to make up for the sins of omission and commission that I commit every single day. Trusting in Jesus changes everything about the way that you relate to God. Believing in Him means this, that you are trusting that He is the Son of God, that He was the only one who could do this for us, and that what He did, dying on that cross, was sufficient to provide forgiveness for our sins and restore our relationship with God. That is what we are trusting. We are no longer trusting in our work. We're trusting in His work completely. And so what happens then is our work can now be freed up because it's no longer for us. It is now for Him. Everything changes when you trust in Jesus. If you don't get this life question right, the rest of them that come up, they aren't going to be right for you either. So how do I inherit eternal life? If your answer has anything to do with you, you're not getting it. You're not getting it right. Jesus is the answer. It's all completely in him. He said on the cross, it is finished. So we believe in him. We trust what he did, that he died to pay for my sins, for your sins. You've got to do that personally. 
That is your answer for how you receive this question. I cannot answer the question for you. We believe that he conquered the grave for my soul, for your soul. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Do you believe him? Do you believe in who he is and what he did for yourself? That is the most important question that you could answer in your life today. Now, the lawyer, he goes the wrong direction in this conversation. And when he realizes he's in trouble with the law, he asks the question, well, who is my neighbor? Trying to justify himself and, and the way he was loving those around him. So now we're moving away from questions about life to questions about love. Jesus answers this lawyer's question with a parable. And this parable really changes the question from who is my neighbor to whose neighbor am I? Jesus says there was a man, and he was going from Jerusalem down to Jericho. So presumably he was a Jew. He gets attacked and robbed on this road, beaten to an inch of his life, which is something that happened commonly on the road to Jericho. This is, again, Jesus took his stories out of real life. The people that were listening to him didn't have to dream up something. They could, they, I mean, that might have happened to, to somebody yesterday that they knew. So this story, right out of real life. So the man's laying there on the side of the road. And by chance, a priest walks by. He sees the man, and he walks around him on the other side of the road and keeps on going. For whatever reason, we're not given. Maybe, maybe he was afraid, but he keeps on going. Then a Levite comes along. And so a, the, the Levite is somebody who is, is educated you know, in the upper class of society. So he sees this poor guy laying there too, and he too walks by on the other side of the road. Don't know why, maybe too busy to get involved. Then a Samaritan shows up, and he sees the man. He sees his injuries, and something happens in his heart. He empathizes with what he's going through, his suffering, and his heart won't let him not help. Now, right there in the story, the neighborhood gets expanded. You know, right there. Of the three guys that passed by the injured man, the Samaritan was really the only one who had any legitimate reason to pass by on the other side of the road. Because Jews hated Samaritans. I mean, they were half Jewish and half Gentile. They were considered unclean. You know, getting near them was, you know, we don't do that. Um, They had their own temple where they worshipped. They had their own religious system. They were doing everything wrong. And so Jesus chose a Samaritan as the hero of this story to topple the notion that was common among Israelites that only those people who are part of God's real family are my neighbor. He took it on. And if you think about it, not much has really changed today. You know, our broken hearts still have problems with people who are different than us. Different races, different faiths, different income brackets. We struggle with people who are other than us. I mean, even with all of our wokeness, even with all of our focus on justice in the society that we're living in, 
we are still having a hard time seeing our neighborhood like God sees it. That's because it takes more than focused attention on the outside of things to make a difference. That's why political policies will never make a dent in the size of our neighborhood. The priest and the Levite, they walked by their own guy. They were the same. They were the same. And over the centuries, you know, there's been speculation about, you know, why? You know, maybe they were, they were busy. You know, they had things to do. Maybe they were afraid. You know, they don't know when this happened. Those guys, those robbers could still be in the bushes waiting to attack somebody else. Maybe they were afraid of, of breaking God's law. One thing I thought was interesting, though, coming from Jerusalem down to Jericho, the people who were listening to Jesus tell this story would have thought in their minds, well, of course the priest and the Levite are coming from church. They've been serving at the temple. They've been in the presence of the living God. And here they walk on by their own guy. See, the Samaritan didn't stop because of something on the outside of him. Something happened on the inside of him. It says he had compassion on the man. He saw the suffering and his heart had to do something. And that something was a beautiful, vivid, expensive, overwhelming picture of love. The first thing that Sam did, you don't mind if I call him Sam, do you? The first thing that Sam did is he seized the man. How many times do we walk by an opportunity to show God's love to people just because we don't see it? You know, it is absolutely okay for us, and we should do this to ask God to give us eyes to see the people around us that need a good neighbor. So pray that prayer. The next thing Sam did was he denied. He denied himself. So we could help. And that is Jesus' way of life right there. I mean, he, he said, Luke 9, 23 and 24, if anyone wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. You know, Sam, he was going somewhere on the road to Jericho. He was doing something. But he gave it up so he could help this guy. The danger was still there. Don't know. You know, he walks upon. Those robbers could be in the bushes. You know, he, to do this, he had to put his life at risk. Same thing could happen to him. He doesn't know. He denied himself safety. Sam was willing and able and available because he denied himself in the moment. He picked up his cross. The next thing he did was he helped he got down where that man was and he started taking care of his injuries, his immediate needs. He, he used what he had to bandage the wounds. He took the wine he had and he poured it on the wounds to disinfect and then he put the oil on there to begin the healing process. And then he loaded the guy onto his own animal and he carried him to the safety of an inn where he stayed with him until he was out of danger. It says the next day he went to the innkeeper, so that means he stayed with him all night. 
You suppose Sam got any sleep that night? Probably watched him all night long, praying for him, asking God for mercy. The next day, Sam's next move was to pay. He paid that innkeeper to watch over him and to continue his healing. And then he promised him he would come back and take care of any other expenses that the innkeeper might have incurred in taking care of him. No doubt he was one that was going to keep his promise. If you want to know what love is, Sam shows you. He sees, denies, helps, pays, and returns. That is gospel kind of love. That is healing kind of love. It's life-changing. It's life-giving. And it is the calling of followers of Jesus. Because it is exactly the way that Jesus loved us. See, when we read this story, we're always, you know, putting ourselves in the Good Samaritan shoes because that's what the story's about. But when you think about that life question and this story that Jesus is telling, who are we? We're the guy laying by the side of the road, half dead, beaten up by our sins, helpless to do anything about it. And we need a Savior, and we've got one who calls us to love people like this. There was a man who really had no interest in spiritual things. And he lived next door to a, a Christian. And, you know, they had the kind of relationship that neighbors do. They, they would talk over the back fence, you know, about you know, things going on in their family. And they would share lawnmowers and, you know, trade vegetables from their garden. You know, that, that kind of thing. So uh, this non-Christian's wife was stricken with cancer. And then she ended up dying three months later. And so the husband wrote this letter. Here's a little bit, of, little bit of it. He says, I was in total despair. I went through the funeral preparations and the service like I was in a trance. After the service, I went to the path along a river near my home, and I walked all night long. But I didn't walk alone. My neighbor was with me. Afraid for me, I guess. He stayed all night, except he wasn't right with me. He was just following me. He didn't talk to me. He just was there. When the sun finally came up over the river, he came up to me and he said, why don't we go get some breakfast? I go to church now, my neighbor's church. A religion that can produce that kind of caring and love my neighbor showed me is something I want to find out more about. I want to love and be loved like that for the rest of my life. I wonder if that man's neighbor was named Sam. Beautiful picture of the gospel love that we know, that we have received. That is the way of Jesus. That is how he would call us to live in this world. So where are the people around you in your life? that need a good neighbor? Where are they? Where can you go jump into their mess and take on their burdens? Pay the price. 
to give them life? How can you relieve them? Who is it that you need to go check on? You know, go back and see how they're doing. See how their healing is coming along. See, deny, help, pay, and return. That answers the questions about love. Now, the way Jesus wraps up this conversation is the so what to the parable. And there's questions about living to answer. He says, which of these three proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robber, robbers? And the man answered in verse 37. He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. It's a pretty clear command to how Jesus would want us to live in this world, showing others what his love looks like. You know, the mission of the church is to make disciples. You know, people who believe in Jesus who then live so others can too. Good Sam shows us the way. Love. Now, to walk this path, we should not expect the applause of people. Don't, don't expect that what you do is going to get plastered all over social media and a news story about you unless you do that yourself, and please don't do that. The opportunities that God are going to bring our way are not going to be world-changing, except for the one that you're showing love to. They are most likely going to be off by the wayside, in the margins of life, where people are left to struggle alone. If your motivation to live like this is anything but Jesus' smile, you're not getting the message. This is about Him. This is about showing people how He loves. This is about calling attention to His name, who He is, and what he's done. Doesn't have to be for us anymore. We're taken care of. But other people are not. And that is their most desperate need. No matter what's going on in their life. So it, it could go something like this. You could answer the living question like this. A man writes, when I was in junior high and high school, I had a neighbor two doors down whose name was Beard Miller. Since his wife had died, he lived alone. He developed a a case of some shingles that were really painful. One day my mom was praying and she heard the Lord say to her, feed the hungry. And she thought, how can I feed the hungry? And then Beard's name came to her mind. And she thought, you know, I could make dinner for him and send it down the street. And so every night, my mom would make a little extra amount when she made dinner for us. About 6 o'clock when we were ready to sit down and eat, she would put together a plate with Beard's dinner, a, a bowl of salad, and a small plate with dessert. She would put this into a cardboard lid that served as a serving tray, cover it with foil or a dish towel to keep it warm. And she would ask me, 
to go down the street and give this to Beard. So I'd walked the two doors down and I knocked on Beard's door and waited while he hobbled to the door. And when he would open it, he'd always have this big smile on his face because he knew that this was the best meal he was going to have all day long. My mom did that every single night. Even when she traveled, she figured out a way to get a meal to him. For three years, she obeyed the Lord's command until Beard's health declined and he had to go into a nursing home. And she said, I just kept thinking, Jesus lives down the street and he's hungry and I need to give him something to eat. You know, I looked for a source to that story, but there wasn't one, which is really fitting. An anonymous, life-giving mom praying to God and hearing that simple call, feed the hungry, and finding a way to do that until it wasn't necessary anymore. Helping out a neighbor, showing him Jesus' love, what it looks like. This is how to respond to the story of good Sam. That's how to answer the question of living. You know, of all the parables that we're going to look at, this is the easiest one to figure out what Jesus is saying. But it's the hardest one to take out and live because it requires us to pick up our cross and follow him without being noticed, without applause, just for him. But when we do that, we are going to know something that we don't know right now. We are going to know what it's like to experience eternal life. Let's have our worship team back up. So how are you doing with, with these questions? Questions about life, about love, and about living. Simple story, big questions, Perfect answers that call us to live differently. I know where we start. We start in prayer. So let's go to the Lord in prayer before we sing. Heavenly Father, we come before you today hearing this story. Wanting to follow where you would call us to go. We thank you for the way that you teach. So gentle, so convicting, so beautiful. We thank you for your mercy. Your mercy to us, Lord, when we were helpless at the side of the road beaten up by our sin and you stopped and you spoke life to us and we believed and now you call us to this love to a life of, of showing this love in very simple but powerful ways Give us eyes to see, Lord, the people around us who need a good neighbor. 
Help us to hear your call to pick up that cross in our life. And believe what you said. We try to hang on to this life, we're going to lose it. We give up our life for you. We save it. Lord, give us creativity to know how to help. Sometimes we see needs and we don't know what to do. Lord, bring things to our minds. Help us to see how we can use what we have in our position, things that you've given us to serve others. Let us hold all these things, all of our wealth, with open hands. It really all belongs to you. Let it be available, Lord, to relieve the burden of others, to take on their expenses ourselves. And Father, bring things back to our minds. People that need a touch, we need to return to, to check on, find out how they're doing, see if we can do more. Lord, we want to love this way. This is your way. This is the life-giving way. You showed it to us. You gave that life to us. We're yours today, Lord. Use us. And thank you for using people like us. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody, let's stand and worship.